Hey everybody, it's Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. So this week I'll be continuing my Wednesday, I guess if you want to say like it's not quite a series, but the Good Fight Ministries has put out these four-week series called Satan's Sex Game and I highly recommend that you go to their YouTube channel and check out their videos. Also, they have Facebook and Instagram, again, the Good Fight Ministries. And so they've put out this series called Satan's Sex Scheme. And where each week on Friday, they release a new video detailing exactly how Satan orchestrated the sexual revolution to pull people away from God and to tie people into sexual brokenness. And they're going over the different players. So this isn't just videos discussing how sex outside of marriage um, is a sin. It's, it's beyond that. They're going into the um, philosophical um, movement, the educational movement, the media movements, and the different players, and how these people were intricately connected and had roots in Satanism to usher in the sexual revolution. And it's really, it's beyond just humans engaging in sin. It's actually an orchestrated effort to create a culture of licentiousness. So we'll get into that. I'm Christina Caramo, and now it's time for some solid food. It's Solid Food, where we discuss all things in Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. So as I was mentioning in the introduction, the Good Fight Ministries has put out a series called Satan's Sex Scheme. And it's also mentioned that every Friday they release a new video. So much of the content of this video will be coming from information that I learned from their documentary and some other points or other things that I've come across after watching their videos. And I highly recommend that you follow their ministry because they do a really good job of dealing with the entertainment industry and how many of these people who influence a culture are Satanists. And some are not necessarily Satanists, but these people are a part of a Satanic agenda. And it's really important that we um, flesh this out because many people are helping Satan and do not know it. Okay? They, they, they think they're doing something good and beneficial to society. And there are other people who really are straight up like devil worshipers. There are people who practice witchcraft who do not see themselves as agents of Satan, but they are nevertheless. Okay, so we want to be intentional. However, these individuals um, were fully aware and were actual Satanists, okay, who ushered in the sexual revolution. Now, um, in the documentary, they didn't say specifically that Hugh Hefner, and that's what this episode is about. This particular episode was titled Playboy Satanic Link. And, and the reason why is because they were really dealing with how much Hugh Hefner was inspired by Alfred Kinsey, who was totally into Satanism, ran with Satanists. He um, never necessarily proclaimed allegiance to Lucifer, but he was inspired by Satanists for their revelry. Okay. So, um, and nevertheless, the thing about it is Kinsey was the one in academia who gave credibility to sexual immorality. And the thing about it in society, we have our thought leaders and our thought leaders in society are our, um, our, in, in our secular society in America currently are our entertainers and our college professors. So as someone has an alphabet behind their name, we suddenly think they know what they're talking about. The thing about it is, is that people who are in academia, I definitely respect them 
um, because a lot of times they've taken great detail and time into their study. However, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't scrutinize what they say. And that's currently the problem in our society, that suddenly we see letters behind people's name and they're dis labeled this distinguished professor or their tenure or whatever. And we suddenly throw all of our comments out of the window. We don't scrutinize anything they say. We just take it at face value without asking any tough questions. And that is the mindset of many people in America. And that is why we're able to accept such ridiculousness coming out of our academic institutions. Kinsey is no different in the same with Charles Darwin and others, but Kinsey specifically ushered in um, sexual immorality and gave it academic credibility that it was just certain, sudden natural human behavior. And the thing about it is, is that in the growing materialism that we saw in academia, it's like there is no God. Our nature is what it really is, the rule. And when that's the mindset of the teachers that are educating our youth, is it any surprise they're absolutely out of control well no it shouldn't be and our entertainers and which i'll get into with hugh heffner um was really the ones who brought it to the culture and made it acceptable in the culture so hugh heffner as we know is the founder of playboy magazine which was uh just simply a pornographic publication that's it but um hugh heffner was beyond just uh, um your regular smut peddler. He glamorized pornography. And that's the thing. So for much, again, pornography is nothing new. I remember discussing one of my episodes like Pompeii. Um, they excavated homes or whether it was brothels in Pompeii where they would paint pornographic images on the walls. That way when a person walked in, they could just point to the service they wanted. Um, so pornography is nothing new. I mean, if you study any type of ancient history, you'll hear just like some of the wildest stories of the things these people were doing and the type of art, quote unquote, that they created. However, in modern times, um, pornography was seen as something very dirty and filthy. Um, the degenerates of society, um, were the ones who engage in these types of behavior. And oftentimes I've heard the criticism, especially as conservatives, like you guys always want to go back to the 50s and the 40s. But what about what about America do you like so much? And they only think of the negative parts of America. It wasn't the negative things of America we want to go back to. We're talking about the morality as far as in society, smut wasn't celebrated and peddled to the pu in the public square as something that's desirable and okay and healthy and normal. It was behavior that was shunned upon that is now celebrated as well. What people are complaining about. And so Hugh Hefner, um, he made it not just cool, but he made it kind of like a desirable or a, he's like the most envied man in America because he has these plethora of beautiful women he can just have sex with any time of day he wants. Um, but Hugh Hefner himself, he called himself the pamphleteer. You know, he, he called, you know, Kinsey was the academic he was the mind behind it all. And he considered himself the pamphleteer, which is sort of like this evangelist. And he said this very openly in his, in his publication. So when Hugh Hefner first released Playboy magazine, in 1953. Now, in 1953, Kinsey came out his, his report on female sexuality. So in 48 or 47, he came out with his, uh, his, his book regarding sex in the human male. Uh, five years later, in 53, he came out with his 
report into female sexuality. And Playboy also came out with their first issue in 1953. And this is a direct quote from the first Playboy issue from Hugh Hefner. He says, if you are a man between 18 and 80, Playboy is for you. We believe we are we are filling a publishing need only slightly less important than the one taken care of by the Kinsey Report. So Hugh Hefner openly credits Kinsey as the one that enlightened him, if you will. And he even said in an interview that he is the pamphleteer. So his objective is to basically evangelize the world in sexual immorality. And, and so that was the interesting part about Hugh Hefner compared to other smut peddlers. And I say that because lots of people who get into the sex industry, it's not this crusader attitude. It's just like, it's easy money. You know, that's why you see a lot of women will have sex for money. And I'm not talking about like prostitution. I mean, just, I mean, it is prostitution. Let me back. What I mean is not being a quote unquote street walker, but they'll simply know a guy and they'll have sex with him to like pay their light bill or to buy him a new car or to pay their mortgage or whatever. It's still prostitution. So we know that many people get into the sex industry, whether it be pimps or, or, or people who own strip clubs or, or porn shops or whatever. They just want, they just know it's easy money. It's not really easy money because you're paying many other ways, but you guys understand what I mean when I use that term easy money. However, what made Hugh Hefner different, he, oh, he was like a crusader. That's the way he saw himself. He saw himself as a crusader that was liberating people from the dregs of Christian sexual repression because Hefner was raised a Methodist, and I'll I'll get into that in a little bit. But Hefner, Hef, Hugh Hefner was raised a Methodist, and the interesting component is that Hugh Hefner did not lose his virginity until he was 22. Now I'm not saying it like that's late in life, but you would think for someone who went on this crusade, you would think that he was out there getting it all, knocking boots at 16 or 14. That was not the case. He was raised in a Christian home, and when he went to college, when he was exposed to Kinsey's report in college is when he had his, as Oprah says, the aha moment. He had his moments like, oh, all these sexual desires and fantasies that I've ever had and all these things I want to do, they're totally normal. Unlike what I'm hearing at church with their telling me, oh, what Kinsey says, blah, 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 blah. So it must be true. That's actually what happened to Hugh Hefner. And that's why who the thought leaders are in our society is so important because we see Hugh Hefner as this sleazy old man in a, in a smoking jacket with a bunch of bunnies surrounding him. That's the image of Hugh Hefner that we have in our minds. But we have to remember remember that oh, that wasn't always the Hugh Hefner we saw that was around. Hugh Hefner was a kid. Hugh Hefner was a young, impressionable man who was sent to college to gain insight to start a career. Instead, he was sexually turned out in college. <laughs> that's what happens. And, and so that's what's so dangerous. So when we think of the, the leaders of the sexual revolution, when we have Alfred Kinsey, who was, a, who was deep in Satanism, uh, his fascinating fascination with Satanism and his fascination with Satanism, um, was, was really, uh, hinged upon his desire for licentiousness. We see Harry Hay who was the father of the, uh, the gay rights movement, who was also a follower of Aleister Crowley, the Satanist, and Harry Hay was also 
uh, supportive of Nambla, which advocates for pedophilia. Uh, then we see Timothy Leary, who was also a Crowley follower who advocated for um, illegal recreational drug abuse. And these people were are still to this day touted as heroes. And then we have Hugh Hefner, which again, um, I don't know that Hefner was an actual Satanist as far as he swore allegiance to Lucifer. However, um, he still was a huge um, proponent of Satan's agenda by marketing it to the masses. Because if you think of people like Kenzie, Hay, and Leary, they had a more niche market, right? They had specific individuals. So Kenzie was in academia and Harry Hay was specifically uh, marketing his to the LGBT. And then you had Leary was, um, you know, more for drug use. Well, that those were niche communities. Well, Hefner marketed his, their, if you combine all three of those agendas, he made them sexy to the public and he marketed to the masses. That's why he called himself the pamphleteer. And so actually, um, you, when you look at this, you have to see the design behind it and it's satanic design. And that's the, that's the, um, the thesis, if you will, of the good strike, good fight ministries, Satan sex scheme, because I always say Satan isn't smart. He he simply is crafty. Satan is not smart. He's just a crafty fellow. That that's it. And and with that being said, of him being this crafty fellow, is he's very skilled in what he does. Because Satan has been at this for thousands of years. Me and you have only been at this for less than most of us under 50 years. You know, I'm 35. Um, many people at the most, some of you maybe after 60 years. Satan has been at this for thousands of years, and he is a supernatural being, which means he has insight into realities of humans and human behavior and in our existence that we simply do not have, and not to mention the thousands of years of experience of observing humans. And I always say human nature is the same. It's just different players in the game, and that rhymes. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? But humans are the same. You know, I don't care where you go in the world, what time period the ethnic group, whatever category you can slap on people. People are people are people are people. People are people. And Satan is very aware of that. And so he, it is no accident that these characters were orchestrated in a way to, to advocate for just debauchery in the public square. And Hefner was the one who made it cool. He's the one who made it cool. See, the reality is, folks, that humans struggle with sin. That's nothing new. Humans have always struggled with sin. There's nothing unique about that. But there is a difference between human depravity on a personal level and Satan is promoting sexual immorality in the public square. And that's why, as I said in so many of my episodes, I speak on the issue of sexual immorality so much. And him promoting this, them, them rather, promoting this sexual immorality in the public square caused millions to walk away from Christ so they can indulge their sexual proclivities. So, so we need to remember that the biggest problem isn't people being sexually immoral, immoral in and of itself. There's so many other things that 
a person can do that aggrieves God. And a person can never engage in sexual immorality and still go to hell. It's, there's so many other things you've done that are wrong that you can only be redeemed through the blood of Christ. So a, a person can live a totally sexually pure life and totally go to hell. Okay, so the issue, the, the main concern isn't the sexual immorality in and of itself. It is the rejection of Christ so one can comfortably indulge in their licentiousness. That is the problem. So people are rejecting God so they can comfortably sin. See, when you are a Christian, and I will always repeat this, that the life of a Christian is not one of perfection, but one of repentance. And when you do something that's wrong, you will feel aggrieved. The Holy Spirit will be aggrieved and you will feel bad. However, when you reject God, that guilt does not exist. So you can comfortably sin. So if I go out and engage in some form of immorality, I'm going to feel bad. Right. I'm going to feel bad. Like, man, I should have done that. All that was wrong. You know, I'm going to feel guilty. But if I totally sear my heart and separate myself from God by unrepentant rebellion, I'm not going to feel bad. I'm going to feel good. And that's essentially what's happening, has happened, and it's continuing to happen in America. And I've, I've made this quote before. Um, I've shared with you all the past. Uh, I was watching a video of Al Mohler talking about hell, and he quoted uh, British novelist David Lodge saying, and he was talking specifically about the um, that time frame of what we call like the beginnings of the sexual revolution. He said, hell disappeared as a necessary prerequisite for everyone jumping in bed together. So people had to separate themselves from God. They had to separate themselves from the fear of God so they could comfortably engage in sin. And that is the problem. That is the worry. People's eternal souls. And, you know, in the documentary, one thing they 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 really are emphasizing that the pillars of the hippie movement and the counter-cultural revolution in the 60s are steeped in Satanism. And that's really what we, we need to understand. When we think of the hippie movement or the counter-cultural revolution, we think of just these flower children, right? So we, we, we don't realize the foundation of that movement was Satanism. Not satanic, not rebellion. No, we mean straight up Satanism. <laughs> the foundation of that movement is Satanism. Then later on, when it was packaged to the American public in the 1960s and henceforth, it got the flowers and the psychedelic colors and the flowing hair and yoga and seeming all harmless. But it wasn't because it was really pulling people away from God. What you have to remember is Satan does not, you know, we have this very medieval attitude of Satan. And what I mean by medieval, you think of like medieval art where they show Satan with horns in his head, on his head and blood dripping from his teeth and bodies hanging from his mouth. And just, you know, that isn't Satan, what Satan is like. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Satan masquerades as something beautiful. I mean, just think about it like this. Why do you think uh, people who kidnap children, they go to them with the puppy or candy or something like that? You have to entice the person with something so you can cause them the most harm. If a person who is a child kidnapper approached a little kid and say, hey, little girl, 
Do you want to come with me so I can rape you and kill you and chop your head off and dangle it in front of your family? They're not like, oh my God. You know, they're going to run away screaming and crying. No, what they're going to say is, hey, would you like some candy? I, I have some candy in my car and the little kids love candy. I'll be like, yeah, what's some candy? And by the way, I got a really cool puppy I want to show you. Then that's how, so they have to lure the child away with something they like. And so Satan is fully aware of humans' fallen nature. And especially one of our, our, our two larger struggles, I think, as humans of tampering our appetite for food and our appetite for sex. So Satan is fully aware with, um, with, that with our propensity for sexual licentiousness. So what is he going to do? Tempt people with it. And so he makes it look beautiful and liberating and free and blah, 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 blah. And even with the hippie movement, which I, I will like to do another episode about the entire hippie movement, because it wasn't just a sexual revolution. It was the new age movement. It was Eastern mysticism. Uh, people indulge getting into all types of other false religions um, because they felt it freed them. And that's, if you notice, a lot of people who embrace sexual immorality, they, I notice that they run to Buddhism. They, for a long time, they run to Buddhism or they now they go into this whole new age thing. Now you see a lot of people getting into Ifa or Yoruba and things of that nature because they want to keep their sexual immorality, but they want God too. So they create these or get involved in these counterfeit theologies in order to satisfy their spiritual inclinations and they still can satisfy their depravity at the simultaneously because they want a religious system that doesn't put any stipulations on their behavior. And in the hippie movement, you saw a big embracement of like Harry Krishna and all this other stuff. And so we need to keep that in mind that the hippie movement, like I said, for all its flowers and flowing hair, is steeped knee deep. And Satanism. And that's something that you should never forget. So moving on, as I mentioned earlier, that Hefner was raised a Christian. And in college, he was introduced to Kinsey. And this is the really interesting clip where he discusses sexual repression. Uh, that legally and, uh, and culturally, that uh, our, our society and, mes and much of uh, the Western world, and apparently, at least to the same degree, the Eastern part of the world as well, is still suffering from from really deep-seated sexual repression, and we are still a long ways from throwing off the chains of uh, of uh, sexual superstition and, and bondage. And that's interesting because that's something that I heard so much, and that was a notion that Kinsey taught that human beings were being sexually repressed, that all of our sexual desires and fantasies were permissible no matter what they were, as long as all parties involved uh, agreed to it, it should be permitted, um, no matter what it was. And again, the last week, I don't need to get into uh, the, the filthy details. And a lot of things I say may seem as um, blunt and um, you didn't need to say that, but sometimes it's important to say these things so you can just see how depraved the thought leaders in our society truly are. But I talked about in last week's episode about Kinsey's pedophiles, and I don't need to get off into that. And so in, in his estimation that everything that people want to do was a, a totally okay behavior. So he felt that Christianity and many of the restraints in our culture were really repressive and causing people harm. 
And that's what you have to understand. Listen to the language of the people who are the evangelists, if you will, of the sexual revolution. They act as though you're causing harm to people by saying you shouldn't engage in this particular behavior. Folks, that is crazy. It is not harmful to tell people that they shouldn't do certain things that actually cause harm. When we look at sexual immorality, and the context I'm talking about is I'm focusing on how Satan is using sexual sin as to weaponize it and popularize it to pull as many people away from God as possible. But let's not forget the earthly consequences. We look at the STD rate. We look at... um broken families and divorce rates and all these different things and how many people are in unhealthy and unstable relationships because they got with people because of the sexual connection they felt. There's tons of social issues, poverty. You know, most of the people in poverty are women and their children. And most of these women were uh, had children and they were not married or they got married to very abusive and dysfunctional men. And there's all types of reasons, or even in cases with men. I've seen cases with men will just get with the woman because she has a, a pretty face or a nice body, and her character is trash, and she's a horrible mother, and the child grows up with all types of issues. So so sexual sin creates all types of problems in our society. It's the, it's the, it's the big, biggest problem in our society because it's perpetuating the poverty we see. It's perpetuating a lot of abuse and dysfunction. Most people in prison were raised in homes by just their mother. So, I mean, we can go on and on and on. In this context, I'm talking about the spiritual ramification and how Satan created this scheme, if you will, to mass market, to, to um, mass market, if you will, I guess that's the right term, um, sexual sin to the public. But there's so many other things that we can't forget that are dangerous. But nevertheless, he felt that it was like people were being repressed. People were being, um, that it was causing actual harm to people. And if you look in today's society, especially within the LGBT movement, I mean, if you criticize or disagree with that movement, you're instantly labeled a bigot and you're evil and homophobic. I mean, that is so dumb. No one is scared of anybody. However, um, God created human sexuality in a way that it is to be conducted in a certain parameter. And um, point, pointing this out is not hating people, it's actually loving people because we don't want to see people live separated from God and ultimately die separated from God and go to hell. It is, I liken it to a, if I'm watching a friend about to get hit by a train and I don't say anything because I don't want to upset them because they're having a good time, you would say, wow, that's terrible. Yeah, I understand they're having a good time, but everybody get ran over by a train. You don't think you should say something? How is this any different? It's no different. In fact, it's worse. Another thing they point out in the film is that part of Satan's war against humans is destroying marriage and inciting humans to rebel against God's plan for the human family. And, and so part of Satan's role, and, and one of the, the things... The, the point is that the film is, is really interesting is that like uh, us as the church, we're called the bride of Christ. Christ is it's called our bridegroom. And, and that love between um, God and his people is very tight because even the Song of Solomon, as I've talked about in the episode like several weeks ago, um, discussing that, you know, God wants you to enjoy sex is just with the confines of, of marriage. And also many people have said that the Song of Solomon 
isn't just discussing um, the love, the romantic love between a man and a woman, but it also is mirroring the, the intimate love between God and his um, people, you know, a deep intimacy, because the deepest level of intimacy is sex. That's the deepest level of human intimacy, but the intimacy, and when we mean closeness, okay, but the, the, the most close we can be to anybody is the, the closeness between us and God. And so the human family really, and when I say the human family, I mean the, the covenant relationship between a man and a woman, um, in a sense mirrors that because notice that we're called, we're called the bride of Christ. Um, even if you read, um, I believe it's in Ezekiel, uh, maybe Ezekiel or Isaiah, where um, Israel rebels, he considers Israel an, an adulterous woman. So that those are clear language that is used in the Bible to really elude the relationship between us and God, that the marriage is a mirror of that in a sense. So Satan is attacking so much. He's attacking the human soul. And he's also trying to attack that relationship that we have with God. And the, and the mirror of that is the human family. And so it's, it's really interesting they pointed that out. But the one of the great analogies they talked about in the film was the fire analogy. So fire in and of itself is not a bad thing. However, when you put boundaries around fire, it's wonderful, right? And, you know, you put a fireplace. It heats the home. It it's it's relaxing. It can be romantic. So when boundaries are put around fire in that context, or think about grilling your food, right? You're cooking outdoors. When you put boundaries around fire in that play in that context, it's wonderful. It creates delicious meals. I love barbecue. My favorite way to eat meat is barbecue. By the way, I love barbecue. Okay. However, when boundaries are taken off and there's no boundaries around that fire, it causes destruction. It burns down homes or we have like wildfires on the West Coast. So we can see in sex and fire, are, are, this is the perfect analogy for sex. The same is true with sex. When the proper, the boundaries that God has put around sex are kept in place. Sex is a beautiful and a wonderful thing. But when we take the boundaries off, which which people like Hefner and like want to remove, it causes sheer destruction. Like fire. Great analogy. I'm like, that's good. So so the Kinsey report also, with the help of Hefner, also led to the legalization of pornography. And in our nation, we have a massive pornography problem. You can read up. There's so many studies. And I'm not even talking about Christian studies. Because oftentimes when it's just Christians complaining, people are like, oh, those, those British Christians. Oh, there they go again. But you can forget that part. Just look at um, just regular secular studies where they're discussing how pornography is like rewiring the brain, causing all these problems, because the, we're seeing unprecedented problems with pornography because of the internet. So before, it was very difficult for people to get pornography. They like had to go somewhere sneaky and shady. And then even if they got Playboy, like I remember as a kid, going to like the local bookstore, like the magazine shop. I remember going like, it was like Arbor Drugs. I think Arbor, I could be wrong. No, it wasn't Arbor. It was like another, it was not Arbor. I'm sorry. Please don't dash Arbor Drugs. You're like, Arbor Drugs? If you're from Michigan, you know, if you're not from Michigan, you're not going to talk about. Well, where I lived, there was like this bookstore. I remember it was a bookstore. And like they had like a shelf 
like a, a brown shelf and like behind the brown shelf, you could just see the title. It was like Playboy Hustler and all this stuff like that. So it was very, it was, it was more difficult for a kid or a person to get access because the bookstore owner didn't care because he's selling it. But you want to hope that the people didn't see you. You had to go through all these hoops. But now with cell phones, you can access pornography anytime, any place, anywhere. So now more and more people are in indulging in it. And then with the entertainment and the media, it's all being marketed to just anything goes. And that was the thing about Hugh Hefner. He made porn glamorous. We made pornography, uh, porn stars, even the, the, the title porn stars. I mean, we have all that to thank. And in and, and, and the total sidebar, it's caused such dysfunction in, in marriages, in the sex lives of marriages, um, not just from an, addict, an addiction standpoint, but just people watch these performers and then they look at their spouse like, why are you doing all this? It's like you're watching a paid performer who's on drugs, you know, do all this stuff. And then you look at your spouse like, why aren't you doing that? I mean, it's just, it creates such unrealistic expectations and then a lot of youth too what's really sad is you'll have these young men um who are, are kids when they're watching pornography then they get their little girlfriend at 16 and they want her to do all this stuff and she's like i just want to hold your hand he's like girl we way back hold hands so you better do all this you know so it, it, it creates such dysfunction in society and to pretend that this isn't it's just negligence and people who don't want to admit what's happening because they're enjoying it too much. So um, also another sick aspect of Playboy and the like in magazines like Hustler is they also gave way to pedophilia. Um, they will regularly have cartoons depicting kids in sexually situ sexual situations. In fact, one guy, Dwayne B. Tinsey, who made a cartoon called Chester the Molester for Hustler. For years, he made this cartoon called Chester the Molester for Hustler magazine, which was a cartoon depicting a man who would particularly target uh, not just women, but prepubescent girls. So this cartoon would frequently depict this man luring prepubescent girls into these sexually compromising situations. So what is humorous about little girls in sexually compromising situations? This was in Hustler. And what's interesting, the guy, uh, Dwayne B. Tinsley, he actually went to prison for molesting his own daughter starting at age 11. So at 11 years old, he started molesting his own daughter. So a lot of these people, they do these things and they market it as comedy. Like I remember, um, I don't want to say, because I don't want to say the wrong comedian and, and call someone a pedophile. And, and I don't want to, that's not something we should call people lightly, but um particular comedian he made all kind of jokes about sexually abusing kids and luring kids in vans and you know how to get away with raping kids and it was another comedian who um who made a skit I forgot what show I think it was on Parks and Recreations it wasn't on the show but he was like a writer for the show where he made a skit for like Comedy Central about raping babies and all this it was just like this kind of stuff isn't funny and when you have people in the entertainment industry make these types of things for fun and think it's hilarious oftentimes it's their actual desires that they're just trying to make light of like it's like a person who slaps you and says oh i was just playing you know they wanted to do that but they just said oh i was just playing to get away with it and then too one of the most disgusting cases of this is like brooke shields hugh hefner and he had a he had a publication called sugar and spice and he and um excuse me brooke shields was like 11 years old and she told total full frontal nudity you know 
So pedophilia is, has always been a part of the sexual revolution. It's the last bastion. And as I've said before, Satan is crafty. So he knows what he's doing. It's the, it's the frog analogy. And I, I say this all the time. You, you put the frog in the water while it's cold. You don't put the frog in hot boiling water. So if Hugh Hefner in 1953 would have had a 13-year-old spread eagle, he would be in jail. You know, he would have went to jail a long time ago. You see what I'm saying? But it's been incremental. So Kenzie always was a supporter of pedophilia. He was. But for some reason, obviously, because of he was an academic. So, oh, he's, well, he's a researcher. You know, they're kind of eccentric. Like artists, right? Artists get past and doing all kinds of films. Oh, they're eccentric. No, they're weird. And they're immoral. Stop it. I'm not saying all artists, of course. But people, if, if it's peddling films like the movie Cuties, the... The woman said that the, the people who watched the film and, and people who've done actual critique of the film said, well, the woman actually was um, criticizing our filthy culture and how it influenced girls. Okay, does that mean you have to show 11-year-olds rubbing their crotch? I didn't think so. Or bending over and, and dancing all up, rub, putting their butts in each other's faces. That's what you had to put to get that point across? I mean, what if, and, and like I've said to people before, one of the problems I've uh, observed that many kids have struggled with, or not just struggled with, but have been victims of, um, as kids being molested by other children. So since that is an issue, should I make a video or a movie with kids actually performing sex acts on each other to discuss the problem of kids molesting other kids? Would that be appropriate since I'm doing it to bring awareness? I mean, come on, people. I mean, but this is the mindset of the culture we live in. This is the, this is the mindset of the culture we live in. And pedophilia is the last bastion. So it had to evolve. So first it was just, oh, a little uh, 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 fornication. Or um, then it was this. And then it was that. And even with the Playboy and Life magazines, oh, first it was just topless women. It went from being topless women to a full frontal nudity of like a 12-year-old girl. It, it, it stuff morphs over time. And if you want to see in indications of that, just look no further than in California, and I've talked about this before, their SB 145. And what's interesting is it was um, it was sponsored by a guy named Scott Weiner from San Francisco. Surprise, right? <laughs> so um, Scott Weiner uh, proposed this bill. And, and what's interesting about Scott Weiner, and, and, what's, and the reason why I discuss politics in other states because I live, you guys know I live in Michigan is because typically what happens in one state it always the, the way people work it, it always grasps over because it's a particular worldview that people who subscribe to particular political parties have it's just about depending on the state you have how much opposition you'll meet to get your agenda out there so Scott Weiner he actually one of his first acts when he was elected to the California state uh, California state senator state assembly or what have you. Excuse me. One of his first things was to make knowingly exposing a person to HIV a misdemeanor. Now check this out. So in California, knowingly exposing a person to HIV was a felony, and he had it. He fought and he was successful to have it changed to being a misdemeanor. Why? And everything he pushes, he always says it's to protect the LGBT community. You're not helping the person that the other person exposed them to. You, you, I mean, anything he pushes, he says, oh, it's just to help the LGBT community. How? The people who would be susceptible to catching AIDS will also be members of the LGBT community. So what are you talking about, Scott? 
he's just, he is just a weirdo. I don't know how else to say it without cursing. He is just a total creep, you know? And, and so th the thing about it is, is that there's no good reason for you to lower it to a misdemeanor expose it knowingly again that's the that's the 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 caveat it's knowingly because a person may not know that they have something but once you know to go out and sleeping around with people that's the problem with sexual sin see all this stuff is legislating sin now we got to keep get new legislation for sin if people weren't doing this stuff it wouldn't be a problem in the first place i digress but why is that not a misdemeanor knowingly exposing a person to aids so the SB 145 bill, so what with his defense of the bill, this is essentially what's going on with the bill. So when a judge, when when you have a statutory rape case, okay, when a statutory rape case, if it was vaginal sex, it's to the discretion of the judge whether or not to make the adult party uh have to register as a sex offender after they serve their sentence, okay? However, if it's anal or oral sex, they were automatically having to register as a sex offender. Okay. So Wiener is promoting the bill as the LGBT civil rights bill. So in California, he was saying that if a 19 year old male has sex with a 17 year old girlfriend, his 17 year old girlfriend, the judge had discretion whether or not to put him on the sex offender registry. However, if it was a 19-year-old male and he has sex, sex with a 17, 17-year-old partner, again, we're talking about statutory rape, which means that the person um, consented. Uh, and that's a whole nother conversation about when can a person consent, but let's just say the person agreed to it. Um, if it was a homosexual relationship, um, then a person automatically would have to go on a sex offender registry. So the proponents of the bill are saying the judge should have discretion whether it's heterosexual or homosexual sex to whether or not they make the person register for the sex offender registry. But what's interesting is when Wiener explained the bill, notice he's like 17 and 19. The issue is not whether or not if a 17 year old boy have sex with a 17 year old girl or two 17 year old girls, a 17 year old girl, 19 year old woman have sex. They should both, the judge should exercise discretion. That's not what people are angry about. What people are angry about that the age, the 10 year age gap and that if the minor is from age 14 to 17, that's when it becomes considered statutory rape. So there was a misconception that even I had myself that I was like, well, if an eight year old, an 18 year old, six me, tell me the 18 year old, I got to register the sex offender. No, it's actually if the part of the minor is 14. But here's the problem. That means if a 14-year-old and a 24-year-old have sex, that that 24-year-old may not have to register as a sex offender. As we know, that is total exploitation. There's no equity there. So just because there was a loophole for heterosexual pedophiles, that don't mean we create a loophole for homosexual pedophiles. That's, that's not equality. What are you talking about, Scott? So, oh, there's loopholes for heterosexual pedophiles. So we got to make sure the homosexual pedophiles get a loophole too. No, no, that's not okay. And, and so that's the problem is the 10 year age gap. That is where people are angry. So he is being him and these other freakers are being totally disingenuous when they say, oh, well, they're just homophobic, blah, blah, blah. 
No, the issue is that 10-year age gap. Yes, should a person have to register as a sex offender for the rest of their life if they're 18 and the person they had sex with is 17? No, Scott, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about your bill that allowed for a 14-year-old to be sodomized and say, oh, well, why don't they say they agreed to it? I get it's okay. And the person shouldn't have to register as a sex offender. That's the problem. And like I said, just because there's a loophole for heterosexual pedophiles, that don't mean that we create a loophole for homosexual pedophiles. And that's what the, the complaint of the two people who voted against it. And this is what they had to say. Speaker, I unfortunately um, am rising in opposition to this bill. And I, I, I wouldn't have spoken except that people have misconstrued my opposition. So I want to be very clear. The equity argument that Equality California and others have promoted for this bill, I completely agree with. In fact, I agree with it so much that the amendments that they gave me to take in appropriations, which would have still created a two-tier system, I refuse to take because it is about equitable solutions. Any sex is sex. I don't care who it's between or what sex act it is. That being said, I cannot in my mind as a mother understand how sex between a 24-year-old and a 14-year-old could ever be consensual, how it could ever not be a registrable offense. I don't care what kind of sex it is. I don't care if it's traditional. I, I, I don't even, I, you know, I'm not going to go there. But the bottom line is when a 24-year-old has sex with a 14-year-old, it is always in an inequitable situation. Most of the time, it's a teacher and student. It might be a Bible study instructor, a coach, and a student. I've had 14-year-olds. I've asked everybody, as this has sat in my committee for two years, amend both sides of the bill. A amend the current situation where, where one sex act between a 24 and a 14-year-old might be considered consensual by a judge and amend this. So we can have equity because it should be equitable. But we should never give up on this idea that children are not, should be in any way subject to a predator. And that's what it is. I cannot, and I've never heard, and I've challenged everybody, give me a situation where a 24-year-old had sex with a 14-year-old, any kind of sex, and it wasn't predatory. Any example, and I've yet to see it. I have been the mother of a 14-year-old over and over and over again, and I'm sorry. Until you can show me that, I can't vote for this bill. As much as I want to create an equitable situation, I think this needs to go back to the drawing board. I think we need to take up both portions of the code and make a determination. I understand it leaves it up to a judge. It leaves it up to a judge. I still have never seen a single instance by which a 24-year-old should be having sex with a 14-year-old. With that, I respectfully ask for no vote. Thank you, Ms. Gonzalez. Mr. Choi, you are recognized. Thank you, Speaker, and the members of the Assembly. I stand today in opposition of SB 145. Colleagues, uh, as a lifelong educator, we place adults in places of uh, trust with the youth and the children. In an age of uh, historic uh, sex trafficking and uh, child trafficking here in California, I think this bill is entirely inappropriate. I don't understand why a 24-year-old volunteer coach should not have to register as a sex offender 
for being uh, with uh, a 15-year-old student. Statutory uh, rape should be a registrable offense either way, and by lowering this offense, colleagues, uh, we are signaling to families and the children everywhere that we support these abusive situations. If you look at the summary of this bill, it provides that the persons of convicted of sodomy, oral copulation, or sex penetration by foreign object under specified provisions of law would not be required to register as a sex offenders if at the time of offense, the person is not more than 10 years older than the minor, and the conviction is only one requiring the person to register. I mean, this is unbelievable. What kind of a bill is this? What kind of a law so are we trying to enact uh, by this body. This is uh, intolerable. It is uh, for those reasons that I respectively beg you to vote no against this bill. You know, that was really important what they had to say. And these are important to listen to these what's going on in every state because this is troubling and, and things are only going to get worse. And what happens when they lower the age of consent? Because there are people who are lobbying to lower the age of consent. So that 10-year age gap, because the current law is 14, when it's, I guess, at that point when it's considered statutory rape. Because, like, an 8-year-old can't consent, but they feel like a 14-year-old can consent. They cognitively understand what's going on, but it's still legal. But what happens when you get rid of age of consent laws? Or it's lowered? to say 13 or 12 or 11. Well, then naturally this bill will provide loopholes for, I say, a 20-year-old who wants to have sex with a 10-year-old or whatever you, if those age of consent are lowered. So legally, sexual abuse, um, depravity is being advocated in our society from academia to politics and to entertainment. And, and I think that people need to be aware. And again, not look at it from a standpoint of trying to know all the new sorted details of the things people are doing. It's really to be privy to the, the tactics of Satan to make it easier and more accessible for more and more people to get off into sexual bondage for the rest of their lives. And I think more people need to take this seriously because people frankly are not and so many lives so many families have been destroyed from unrepented sexual sin. And it's causing poverty. It's causing depression. It's causing broken families. It's causing just so many problems. And the biggest of all problems, the eternal separation from God. And let me say this one more thing before I close. And I talk about this a lot, about the logical case for hell. Because everybody doesn't watch every episode. Some of you, this may be your first time ever viewing an episode. You have to remember that God is perfectly holy and God is perfectly just. And since God is perfectly holy and he is perfectly just, that any and every sin that you have committed 
you must pay for. I think about it. This is the analogy I use. Imagine you got a guy who's just a nice guy. Everybody loves him. He's the philanthropist. He coaches Little League Baseball. He volunteers at his church. No, forget it. He, this guy is, an, it, it, well, yeah, okay. In this case, he volunteers at his church. He's just a swell guy all around. Family man, all American dad. But then he shoots his neighbor in the stomach. He goes before the judge and says, judge, judge, judge. Come on, I've done this, 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 and that. Sorry about shooting the neighbor. And the judge goes, yeah, I know. And thank you for all that you've done. But you still shot your neighbor in the stomach. Therefore, you go to jail. All the good we do does not negate the bad we do. And that's what people fail to understand. They think of themselves as think of themselves as a good person. You are not a good person. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That's a false dichotomy. However, you have committed sin. And since God is perfectly holy and perfectly just, he must deal with your sin. And Jesus took the penalty by dying. He was the sacrifice. He died so you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. However, you have to accept that offer of forgiveness. Now, the thing about it is, is people say, well, okay, I get that part. Fair enough. God's perfect. I've committed sin. God has to, I have to be punished. But why forever? Well, you sinned against an infinitely holy God. And how long you committed the sin does not necessitate how long the punishment should be. Perfect example. If I'm running a, like a, I'm an, I embezzle or whatever at my job, okay? Say I do that for five years. And then says someone, someone like kills someone in a drunk driving accident. I embezzled these funds for five years. That's how long it took to commit my crime. The person who killed someone in a drunk driving accident, accident, it took a matter of moments. However, the gravity of the offense is what determines the punishment, not the length it took or how long I engaged in the offense. So when you sin against an infinitely holy God, the punishment is infinite. And, and when you see people like Hugh Hefner, and even I remember even one episode of like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, they had Will Smith at the Playboy Mansion. I mean, it was just shown as this place where this guy just had a bunch of pretty girls around him. It, that was it. It was that's how it was marketed to people. And he had all these women, and he had lots of money. He was he was considered the most envied man in America, and he has nurse dead. All the sex he had, all the money, all the pretty girls, all the fame, all the popularity, didn't save his soul. He couldn't take it with him. So ultimately, what it meant? What did it mean? It didn't mean anything. I mean, that's the problem. We live in this world where we live for just we live for nothing. And we lose everything. And I, and I, 
say that because I, you know, two books in the Bible, I think everyone should start with, um, are Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, because you need wisdom to get through this life. And you learn throughout Proverbs that all wisdom, wisdom begins in the fear of the Lord, with the fear of the Lord. But I also say Ecclesiastes because when you see people like Hugh Hefner celebrated and you read Ecclesiastes and Solomon is writing like, okay, I had the women, I had the money, I had the servants, I had all that, but it's like sowing to the wind. You can't take that with you. What difference does it make? You know, your treasures are stored in heaven, not where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal. And that's the problem with the, the celebration of Hefner and his life is that it's teaching you to store up all your treasures on this earth. When you die, this is, you can't take it with you. Humans always want to take what they, they, they just think about in, in a lot of ancient cultures, you, I believe in China, they did this. And I know in Egypt, they did that. Where when a pharaoh died, they will bury his servants and everybody and all his stuff with him. You can't take it with you. It's still right there. And I just read this last part of Ecclesiastes 12, um, 9 through 13. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words to delight and upright. He wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed on the collected saying. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books. There is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And, and that's the thing. Solomon, again, lived in riches and luxury and just he had all the the trappings that this life could offer a person. And he says that your duty is to make God happy because everything that you ever done in your life, God will judge. And I feel sorry for people like you, Hefner. I do. Because he lived his life thinking he had all the trappings, that he was a pamphleteer of liberation. He indulged for, he lived a long life. He died at 91. You think of people like Kenneth Anger, he's in his 90s. They're still running around. But at the end of the day, when they stand before God and have to give an account of their lives, then what? Show God a playboy? See what I mean? It means nothing. It's just destruction. I can't sell you poison in a bottle of poison. I got to put it in something sweet to get you to eat. Just saying. All right, folks. So thank you for tuning in to Solid Food. I'm on all major podcast platforms. You can check out my website, www.ChristinaCaramo.com, which is under construction. It should be up and running soon. It's running and it's up, but it's, it's working. It's, we're getting there. 
Also, I'm on all major podcast platforms. You can check me out at It's Solid Food. I'm also on YouTube and Facebook at The Christina Caramo Project. And also on Instagram at Caramo the Great. That's Caramo the G-R and the number eight. And remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told. Toodles!